Everything went, because what did it say in verse 20? Yeah. What does it say in verse 23 of chapter 2? Because all his days, his activity is painful and irritating. Even at night, his mind does not rest. This too is futility or vanity. And then he goes on to say, there is nothing better for a person than to eat and to drink and to show himself some good in his trouble. This too I've seen is from the hand of God, which he said earlier, did he not? So, and here's the problem with going verse by verse, all right? Because, yes, I don't think any, any particular teaching method is perfect. We went through almost two chapters of a lot of descriptions of somebody's, I remember one, somebody said pessimism, somebody brought up the idea, well, he'd never mentioned God, well, you know, and I kept saying, well, this is inspired scripture, um, so this is here for us to, to work with and to wrestle with, and, but he, he, don't miss the flow of what's happening here. Because really, your first two chapters, he's beginning to build a case. And he's beginning to set a stage. And he's beginning to, to, to have, uh, to put in our minds a perspective that we might really give greater thought to everything under heaven. That's what he's doing here. And so, as, and when I mentioned this last Last week, when I said there's a shift here, when we read the last part of chapter 2, um, and, and it, it's interesting because a, a few of the commentators, even in the chapter 3, they, they, they see it as pessimism. And, and the, 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 the tyranny of life. And, and the oppression of life. I don't. I think, I think he's being very realistic. But particularly in chapter 3, he's kind of letting go of some of, the, some of the more negative attributes of life. And he's, he's, it's a Hebrew um, form of writing where you describe things based on extreme contrast. And give birth, die. Plant, uproot. Um, tear down, build up. And, and so he's, he's really kind of opening up our thinking, I think, even greater. And, again, using a common form of Hebrew writing in that day. But, so, you know, he's talked about the vanity of things. And then in 24, he goes, uh, 24 verse chapter 2. Uh, there is nothing better for a person than to eat, drink, and show himself some good in his trouble. Now, what do you think about that? Daniel gives it, gives it a thumbs up. Well, I'm going to go ahead and read the verse to you again. Uh, in, in chapter 2, verse 24, it says, There is nothing better for a person than to eat and drink and show himself some good in his trouble. What's your thoughts on that? 
It could be. It c- labor, okay. So then it would be. Um, my ESV is over there. Um, labor in the New King James. ESV. Toil, okay. So is it, to show yourself some good in, your, in, your, in the work, the fruit of your labor, right? Um, earlier he said that's vanity. At least he, he, he didn't, maybe didn't say it completely directly, but he's really implying it really earlier in, in this. But then he comes and said there's nothing better for a person to show that he eat and drink and show himself some good in his labor. Uh, this too I have seen, it is from the hand of God. So it's even that way in ministry, just a thought came to me. It's in 1 Corinthians where Paul talks about Apollos watered um, and how he harvested, but it was who? God who gave the increase. And so recognizing uh, the power of God behind the work of your hands. And I, I, I think that still applies even after you're not, no longer working. Because do you still work? Some of you who are retired are probably busier now than you, have, than you were. And, but you're taking on projects that probably mean more to you in some way. You know, Daniel has... has the, the 2023 garden, okay, <laughs> not to put any pressure on you, okay, <laughs> you know, but, uh, you know, for example, and Harvey and his garden that he does every year, and, 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 and Don is, uh, I don't know, <laughs> what, Don is a, Don who's the handyman of, you know, um, doing a lot of different things, for actually for a lot of different people, um, since he's retired. And to, for a person to eat and to drink and to show some good for his trouble. So, you know, even in that, I think, after you retire, you collect what, a pension, hopefully, uh, and that pension is based on, well, depending on what kind of pension you have, is based on the work that you did, right? So um, even that is, is reaping the fruit of the work that you have done. And because there, there's, there's different views on retirement within the church. And, and um, you know, again, Chuck Smith said he never would retire, but then he's preaching to his church on, a, on the end of a 50-foot oxygen line, which there were other people who could do that, you know. Um, and I thought it was, personally, I thought it was tragic. But um, just because you retire doesn't mean you stop working. You know, you're still working, you know. Uh, I'm not sure. Well, you, you know, you're raising granddaughters which is work, yeah, you know, because the dynamics of that, you know. Um, and, and so this is from the hand of God. 
for who can eat and who can have enjoyment without him. What does that mean? Who can eat and who can have enjoyment without him? Where the New King James says, says what? Says for who can eat and who can have enjoyment more than I. Interesting. Different manuscripts. That's why you have a difference in the English. Cindy, what's verse 25 saying in the ESV? Yeah. So, again, it's recognizing that really it's from the hand of God that the blessings come. Even though, did you earn them? Doesn't it even kind of undergird that idea in verse 24? Did you not earn your retirement? I think you did. You know, nothing better than for a person to eat and drink and show himself good in his time of labor. It's from the hand of God. For to a person who is good in his sight, that is in God's sight, he has given wisdom and knowledge and joy, while to the sinner he is given the task of gathering and collecting so that he may give to one who is good in God's sight. Now, I don't know if we're going to get into chapter 3 much now that I've Turn to Matthew 25, if you would. So was that easy enough, Don? Okay. Well, I'm thinking of all the different things that you're doing, and I didn't know how to quite describe it. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I want to be a hammock tester. That's what I want to do. Yeah. Verse 14 of Matthew 25. Sorry, Daniel. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Patiently. It says, for the kingdom... Oh. Verse 14 of Matthew 25, verses 14 through 30. Pat? <laughs> Could you read verses 14 through 30 for us, please? Nice and loud. Okay, so again, I'm pulling this out because in verse 26, for I'll read it to you again in Ecclesiastes 2. For to a person who is good in his sight, he has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. While to the sinner, so there's your distinction, the person who is good in, in the sight of the Lord, wisdom, knowledge, joy. To the sinner, he has given the task of collecting or gathering and collecting so that he may give to the one who is good in, in God's sight. This too is futility or vanity and striving after the wind or chasing after the wind. So my thought on what, and, and while we went to Matthew 25, by the way, it's also in Luke 19, uh, 11 through 27. That would have been a little bit shorter. <laughs> not much so. Um, actually, no, not much at all. Um, was the parable of the talents where it says in verse 29 of Matthew have even what he has will be taken away and notice that the one who had the one talent who hid it they took that talent from him and gave it to the one who had the five talents and there actually had ten talents so what is the context of Matthew 25 
It starts in Matthew 24. It's called the Olivet Discourse. And, and well, before we go to Matthew 24, let me read to you Matthew 30, excuse me, Matthew 25, verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory and all the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate them one from another and the shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. The sheep will be on the right hand, the goats on the left. And the king will say to those on the right hand, come you blessed of my father and inherit the kingdom prepared for you from, from the foundation of the world. And then he goes, for I was hungry, you gave me food. I was thirsty, you gave me drink. I was a stranger, you took me in. Um, I won't continue. Um, but he's telling this parable of the talents because he is answering the question that was asked in Matthew 24. It says, uh, verse 1, Matthew 24. Then Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came up to show him the, the buildings of the temple. And Jesus, as if he had never seen them before. But nonetheless, it's a good segue into the sermon. And Jesus said to him, Do you not see all these things? Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone shall be left here upon another that shall not be thrown down. What is he prophesizing here? The destruction of the temple in 70 AD. That's what he's prophesying. It says, now, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, hence the name Olivet Discourse, the disciples came to him privately and said, tell us, when will these things be? What things? The destruction of the temple. All right, that's one. And what will be the sign of your coming? That's two. And the end of the age. Three questions. They understood that sign, or the second question and the third question would happen essentially simultaneously. The end of the age, that is the end of the present age and the entering into the messianic age that is to come. The Bible only talks about two ages, in the new, particularly in the New Testament. It talks about this age and the age to come. That's the terminology that Jesus uses in the Gospels. And he uses the Greek word aeon, A-O-I-N. Um, this present age and the age to come. So he's talking about the Messianic age. So, and of course, they thought that the destruction of the temple would be concurrent also with the with the. Uh, the coming of, that is, the second coming, they're starting to understand some of this because it says the sign of your coming. Now, is Jesus already there? Yes, but he's been prophesying about coming back. And then Jesus goes into a very long sermon answering those three questions. And the difficulty in the Olivet Discourse is to try to understand and, and there's a parallel passage in Luke that actually some believe it's not really parallel. But I don't want to get into that tonight. But what we have in Matthew 25, verses 14 through 30, is really a, this, this judgment. 
and it's based upon that which we've been given. And he's using a parable to illustrate a coming judgment, which he goes right back into in verse 31 when he's talking about the judgment of the nations, well, that the nations will be gathered. Um, often, but not always. When you see a reference to the nations, this is a reference to the Gentiles. Often, but not always. Um, and, and so I, I would refer you to, to, I don't want to take the rest of the time to go all the way into verse 46, but I would refer you uh, all the way to, to look at this, uh, the rest of this in Matthew 25, all the way through to verse 46. But what he's saying is that to those who have been entrusted with things and they have prospered in their stewardship, that they'll be given more. To those who do not develop what they've been entrusted, that which they have will be taken from them. Now, what do the talents represent? I'm following you. I'm with you. No, no, I, I'm, I'm with you on this, Harv. I'm just letting you go because I think you're, what you're saying is correct. I'm also thought of a verse that I've got to find it. Um, because God gives each of us some kind of gift or gifts, plural. Probably gifts, plural. Sometimes we're not even aware of them. Where are the spiritual gifts found? 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, believe it or not, and 1 Corinthians 14. Um, the book of Ephesians, Romans 12 is another one. The book of Ephesians, I want to say five, but I don't think that's it. What about Galatians 5? Are those gifts? Fruit of the Spirit, depending on how you want to classify it. Because the fruit of the Spirit is something that's developed by the root. And according to the book of Isaiah, the root of Jesse is none other than the Messiah. Doing the work in our lives through whom? The Holy Spirit. The fruit is produced really by the root. The fruit is produced by God. It's something that is produced in our lives. Are those things gifts? I think you could classify them, but I think you could also make a case that they're they're gifts, not, I mean, sorry, that they're fruit, not gifts, and that there's distinctions. But I, I think there's a lot of overlap, a lot of overlap. That would make sense. Paul told Timothy, um, that he was to stir up the gifts that were given him when they laid hands on him. I want to say it's in First Timothy chapter 1, and as I'm kind of cruising through this really fast, it's not popping out to me, but he does tell that to Timothy. So that the gifts that we have... You, I don't... If the gifts and callings are irrevocable... Romans says that, right? So if that's the case, I don't know that we lose other, and, and I'm, I'm going on real thin ice here because I don't know for sure myself. Uh, I'm not so sure that we lose the gift 
but it just really becomes dormant to, to such a degree that it almost appears like you've lost it. Does that make sense? I see that look on your face. Um, talk to me a second. I, I don't know if, I've, if, you, if, you, if the light came on or if it's, if, if it's still flickering. I'm not sure. Yours. <laughs> yeah, because you have that look. And so what, I, what I'm saying, if you don't use a gift, Okay, if you don't use a gift, and if, according to Romans, that the gifts and the callings are irrevocable, do you actually lose it? Yeah. And, and now, I could say, just to stir it up, Saul lost his gift. But how much of a distinction do we want to make between what the New Testament has declared irrevocable and the narrative that we read under the Old Covenant? See, that's a quest- those are questions that keep me up at night, actually, because it's like, wow, you know, what's really going on here? Hang on just a second. I'll get to you. All right. Um, so, yeah, it, it's... That's part of why I like to stay primarily in the New Testament. But what I'm seeing here is the illustration that Jesus gives us in Matthew 25. If you don't use it and the, at the judgment, now do we go, do we all, are we all judged? All of us are judged. In either the great white throne judgment or the judgment seat of Christ. And, and that's part of what the return of Jesus is all about. When the Messiah coming back, it's about judgment. It, it, it's prophesied over and over again in the Old Testament. But what the, Jesus is telling us in this parable, if, if, if you're not stewarding well, if you're not, if you're not adding to that which you've been given, that which you've already been given will be taken away from you and will be given to someone else. So, and I was asking this question when I was listening to you as well. Where do we get to that place where we are no longer using the gift? And let's say, for the sake of the argument, I haven't forgot about you, let's say for the sake of the argument, it is taken away. Dormant or not, doesn't matter, right? Where, where, is it, where is that place that we end up losing it? On this earth. Because we're talking about Ecclesiastes, everything under the sun. I'm making you all work tonight. Some of the looks on your faces. What? Well, I, I think so, but have you ever lost faith? Have I gotten way far away from here, or dear? Is it now a good time? I want to bring us back to when you were talking about retirement tied in. All right, I'm going to, I'm, okay, all right. Wait, hang on a sec. I'm, I'm still seeing looks on people's faces that I haven't, t- so, sorry. All right, yeah, I didn't want to get too. That's a good, yeah, that's a good point. I went for years without playing the guitar, actually. 
but then I picked it back up again. Yeah. And, um, I, you know, the thing is, is my thought on the question. Where, do we, where is that point that we lose it or that it becomes completely dormant? And how did this happen? Um, my thought on that is it goes back to that viewpoint out there on Highway 97 north of Terrebonne. We have the Crooked River Canyon. It's about three miles deep, you know, so it feels. And I kind of like, I'll get out there and I'll sort of look because you got to look, right? And, but I hate it because it's like you're way up there or it's way down there. That's what it really is. And, and so if, if you're afraid of falling off the cliff, one way to st- keep from falling off the cliff is that you don't get too close to the edge. So I'm going to pick up where you left off, Cindy. Okay, you're retired. I'm not doing maybe, and I'm using you as a hypothetical example. All right. If I found myself in a lull, and at times I do, like, am I still supposed to be here? You know, what, what, what are we doing? You know, um, I start to pray in earnest. And I don't necessarily, and I may start to, like, get marching orders again. But it, uh, my prayer life then really departs from that fairly quickly. And I'm praying for the purpose of spending time with God, not for the purpose of trying to get something renewed. And, and in the process of spending time with God, what is supposed to come about, I believe, will come about. Does that make sense? But then I can go back to saying that the callings, the gifts and callings are irrevocable but they will change and shift a little bit as we get older. We used to do seven worship songs. I can't do seven worship songs anymore. You know, uh, yeah, we would do worship for 35, 40 minutes. We did an hour and a half service. I mean, that was, that was standard. Um, some of you guys are like, thank God, I wasn't here then. No, you remember. Yeah, you guys remember. I think you remember. So he's using a parabolic explanation because we're not saved by what we do. We are not saved by what we do. So we are, saved by, we are under the grace of God. We are, uh, we are saved by grace uh, through faith, not of works, that is a gift of God, lest any man should boast. And so um, I think verse 35 through 38 of Matthew 25 gives us somewhat of a, uh, an outline of the things that we can do. Um, have you ever felt that God called you or nudged you to do something and you decided you didn't want to do it? Is it just Larry? <laughs> I think we've all been there. I think we've all been there in one way, shape, or form. And that's why I asked that question, where is that point? where all of a sudden 
that talent is in jeopardy being taken from you. Remember, this is at the final judgment, and parables are often given as a means to express a deeper, further truth, i.e., you can't always take them fully literally. Okay? At least that's how I interpret it. So, um, we got 10 minutes. So, Solomon, because we are in Ecclesiastes. Any other questions on Matthew 25 before we wrap it up? I would ask people what their natural inclination was, for starters. And remember Hargrove's daughter, okay? Young woman in her early 20s, wants to honor God, wants to serve the Lord, wants to be faithful, has no idea what to do. She's working, got a full-time job, lives with mom and dad. She doesn't know what to do. She's sensing. Obviously, she's sensing something. She's got a, a sense of, what am I supposed to do? I said, go out and make some mistakes. I said, go, go, go do it, what your heart feels to do. And I said, so if you go and make mistakes, do you love God? She said, yes. So is God faithful? Yes. So if you go and you do the wrong thing, is God faithful enough to take you out of it and put you in the right direction? Yes. Because she was stuck in a job that she hated. We've never been there, have we, folks? Right? And she was afraid to look for another job. I mean, that's how paralyzed she was. I don't know if it's God's will that I take another job. Well, maybe it wasn't. But the thing is, how I understand how God works, let's say you were supposed to stay in that horrible job, because sometimes you are to stay in a horrible job, right? Because God's using that to shape you. You get another job that's equally as horrible or worse, but you don't know it going in, right? It's like everybody rejoiced when the E9 retired till the new one came in, right? And then yeah, uh, I wanted to get orders. But anyway, um, so I, I think you, 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 you look at your personal, what are you inclined to do? You know, and how much of a risk are you willing to take to go beyond your comfort zone? So what are you inclined to do and what kind of a risk are you willing to take? Sometimes I think we must have been out of our mind to move to a town that we'd never even heard of, to plant a church. Um, um, actually, she didn't. No. She was probably more confident than I was. You know? Um, and it was like, I, I mean, this was like culture shock to the max, even though we lived in Lake Tahoe, which was a very similar, but... Of course, Lake Tahoe is sisters on steroids, but it's also California and Nevada. It's not Oregon. It's a big difference. Right, all you Californians? Right? So, all of us? Who isn't? <laughs> I used to just tell people I moved here from South Lake Tahoe and just left it at that. Right? And, and so, yeah, I think... 
I think that's how you start to explore your gifts. You have to, you know, I, I had to step out. We were in a church that, now the pastor didn't believe this, but he communicated this. I don't think he believed this, but I, don't, I think he had a part of his blind spot, right? He acted like he was the only one that was anointed, period. That's pretty fair, isn't it? And, and so, you know, nobody ever wanted to talk to him about any sense of calling that they had. Um, I finally told him I felt called to be in the ministry, and, you know. And he was actually, much to my surprise, he was actually fairly encouraging. But he said it's a long, it's a long, long journey from sitting in the pastor's office and acknowledging and called the ministry to actually doing it, which he was right. Um, but, you know, I, th- I think sometimes you just have to take some chances. But also be willing to recognize when something isn't your gift. In that particular church, we had people who want to be on the worship team. They should never have a microphone in front of their mouth while they're singing not only in this age, but in the age to come, all right? I mean, they couldn't sing. And, and then the weirdest thing, along came this woman who she really couldn't sing, but she was a worship leader. And I think they just kept her a little lower in the mix, but she really was a worshiper. And and, and she was an encouragement to lead the, con- you know, to, you know, she didn't sing solos, obviously, but she was an encouragement to be up there as she worshipped. Um, so sometimes you just don't know because if I if I had been the worship leader and if I had evaluated who she was just based on how she could sing, I'd been like, no, let's talk about something else, right? That would have been the, you know, so th- that would be my answer. And I see some of the spiritual gifts that you have. Sometimes others see it before you do. Yeah. Well, I think, though, and, and I would agree with you, Jeff, but I think also, too, okay, show of hands, who feels called to be a missionary? Raise your hand. Come on, anybody. All right, thank you. You know, let's keep it in the room, you know, um, because the reality is, and I, I used to just get on my nerves, but it's my issue, right, about going to the mission field. Well, mission field starts on your front doorstep. You know, and there's, there's all kinds of people in this town that are lost as a rock. They don't even know it. And they've had 40 and 50 and 60 and 70 years of being them, people who do not walk with God. And, and so, you know, how do you, how, do you, how do you approach that? How do you try to share the love of Christ with them? I think you share the love of Christ with them very differently than, let's say, you do a 20-something or a, someone who's in single digits or a teenager. Um, things that would work with the younger people don't re- usually work with older people. And, and so there's, there's, a, there's a... It's weird because you would think with older people they're more mature, and they are, 
But there's a level of sensitivity I think we have when we're dealing with our non-Christian neighbors. That we have to be much, to walk, and I never got into chapter 3 in its time, but to walk circumspectly, which I wanted to tap into tonight in chapter 3, but I will tap into it next week. Because there is an appointed time for everything, and there is a time for every matter under heaven. 